Hello, Gregor. Hi, Edgar. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you doing? Doing very well, thanks. Here we are again, recording a podcast from a distance. Indeed. So, what are we talking about today? Today, we are going to offer a pretty short podcast, which is going to be an introduction to the series of podcasts we are going to release in which we explore how we integrate the social in our practice. And when you say social, what do we mean by that? It's not a notion that we define very clearly, but the idea is everything that is not directly inside the psychoanalytic room or psychoanalytic frame. Mm -hmm. Like everything that happens around us, you know, like something like a pandemic or people getting sick, people dying, people getting poor, mm -hmm. things like that, that might be not directly connected to... The transference might not be directly connected to counter-transference fantasies and stuff, even if, of course, they are going to be uh, taken mm -hmm. by transference and the fantasy. And yes, they will manifest inside the room, indeed. Can you give our audience a general idea of how the podcast will unfold? What are the general points that we touching on today? There are going to be four little themes that we are going to address. The first one would be the difficulty to integrate the social dimension in uh, psychoanalytic training. And um, we are mostly going to talk about our experience at MPP because there are other institutes in which the social is uh, much more taken into consideration. Then we are going to talk about what to do when the social meets a patient's issue, meaning like when someone has already a certain difficulty and something happens in the society at large and how it plays out in our work, then we will try to give some elements of answer to the question of can we include the social and still be psychoanalyst? And finally, how taking the social into account is actually an unspoken or unrecognized necessity in our psychoanalytic work. So I guess these four points signal that we have a certain understanding of psychoanalysis that is not only about fantasy. I guess it does. Mm -hmm. For people who haven't listened to us before, they will discover something new. They will discover something new, indeed. For other people, I think they, they, they might be already... They realize uh, that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something they might have to realize before. Mm -hmm. So as we always tell the members of our audience, you can leave comments and questions in our page in Facebook, Discussions on Psychoanalysis, also SoundCloud, our Twitter account. I can send them by email. Uh, can you remind our audience of the email address? You can reach us directly at discussions on psychoanalysis at pm.me. And all the links will be in the podcast description. Great. Until then, my name is Grégoire Pierre. And this is Edgar Francisco Danielson. Welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis.
as we explore how we integrate the social in our practice, we want to offer our audience that half of Freud's work takes into consideration the social. For example, one of the papers by Freud is the obsessive actions and the religious practices. We have also heard about the uh, morality and totem and taboo. And more recently with Eric Fromm, in my case, for example, I studied Eric Fromm in a different context, not in the psychoanalytic institute, but in seminary, where we would read Fromm's works about the social and psychoanalysis. Any uh, thoughts you may have about these early works by these authors? I find that it's fascinating to look at Ford's work and realize how much he wanted to think about the social, meaning the society we live in, the interaction between people, group dynamics. It's even more fascinating in the U.S., I find, because mm -hmm. since I started a training here, in opposition to the training I had in France, where social considerations were integrated everywhere, Mm -hmm. uh, in the U.S., or at least at NPAP and in some other experience I had, for instance, at uh, New York Psychoanalytic, like the social doesn't seem integrated at all. Yeah. And uh, one of the the expression of it is, for instance, the, the social class at NPAP, which was moved to become a requirement only because of the licensing process by New York State. Correct. And um, also how, despite what it felt to me, and especially um, I can speak as a former Milo chair, which as in PAP is, I would say, I, would, I was the representative of the candidates. Mm -hmm. That's one way to present it. For two years, I was very well aware of uh, people's complaints and uh, uh, desires and things like that. And um, it was striking to me to see how the lack of social integration in our classes was something people would bring up on a frequent basis. And to see that NPAP did not seem to actually put something in place... Mm -hmm. When you say to put something in place, are you referring to the potential of exploring the social in the context of more courses at MPAP or something else? What's in my mind is the apparent difficulty from NPAP, but probably from other places, to have enough instructors, enough members, for whom integrating social considerations in their psychoanalytic practice makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's not that you will hear a direct discourse telling you that there's no need to take social into consideration. I think we are past that, mm -hmm. mostly. I would hope so. But we do hear some people, young or old, mm -hmm. telling us that the only important thing is the intrapsychic. Yes. Yeah. Which is um, in some ways very interesting and I find in some ways also very dangerous. And we will go back to that later. So maybe to make it a little more clear, when I trained in France to become a clinical psychologist, with, I repeat, a very, very strong emphasis on psychoanalysis, we were actually de facto trained to become out-of-network psychoanalysts, I would say. And every professor would include internal dynamics within social frames. Mm -hmm. And it would be just obvious that you couldn't think of psychoanalysis in a closed box, which would be the patient's mind. It was obvious that you were going to be involved. So it was obvious to move from what people call here a one-person psychology to a two-person psychology. Mm -hmm. like it was not even a question. And actually, it was kind of weird to me when I moved here. 
when people talked about the one person psychology, I, I couldn't wrap my mind about what the hell it could mean. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I understood what it could mean in a fantasy world. And yet, they would integrate in social considerations all the time. So it's not about adding more classes on social aspects specifically. Mm-hmm. It's about in every class having social consideration being just obvious. Yeah. In my case, as I mentioned, this happened throughout my studies in seminary. I experienced what in Latin America we call liberation theologies. In that context, the social was always present because in our case, we come from a tradition of liberation theologies, which is how people interact with each other and can reach what we call freedom, no? the, the capacity to make decisions without feeling pressured by economic ties or race or gender. So all of that came together in seminary, but I don't hear that happening in the psychoanalytic institute, at least not in ours. Mm. And it's even more striking because, as we just pointed out, a significant part of Freud's work, like, for instance, in Civilization and its Discontent, It's difficult to have a more social title. Freud (laughs) uh, mentions a few times that we can never leave the world we live in. That once you're there, there's no way back. So if you take that seriously, it means that you have to consider social aspects in your work with a patient because your patient and yourself Mm -hmm. cannot escape the world you're in. Mm -hmm. You're there and it's done deal. Yes. So just to bring up some kind of, I would say, the absurdity or the, the strangeness of the situation we, we encounter in uh, some of our interaction with uh, our institute and with other places or some conferences where things seem to be completely compartmentalized. So I think that the main idea is for us as clinicians to be able to hear when the social meets a patient issue. Because everybody is different. Every society is different. Big society, small societies, they're all different. But sometimes, by chance, Mm -hmm. something happens of an intersection. Like they cross the line. Not intersection in a social way, in Uh that sense. But like, let's say... You become, I mean, I'm going to give a very uh, non-subtle example. You don't like dirty places. And for whatever reason, whatever reason being something that has to be analyzed too, but still, you patient has to move to New York. Well, this is going to create some conflicts. Conflicts that would probably not have happened if your patient had had to move to Switzerland Mm -hmm. or to Japan to cite just two places that are usually mm. known for being cleaner. clean. <laughs> not, just, not just cleaner than New York. <laughs> clean. It's not a high stake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a very high threshold to... Yeah. Um, but yeah, to be... Uh, and apparent, I mean, uh, apparently very, uh, very clean places. So, of course, you should w- always wonder uh, what was the patient's desire, what actually happened, did he or she had to go to such a dirty place... I mean, maybe there's some masochistic tendencies there, mm-hmm. very possibly. Mm-hmm. But still, you can't deny or you can't avoid thinking about the fact that a certain place will emphasize, not create, but certainly emphasize certain symptoms mm-hmm. or potential symptoms. Yeah. 
What I hear you saying is that even though every decision is a compromise and therefore implies an intrapsychic conflict and that can be explored, there are realities touching the life of a patient. Realities may be. I like the term reality, but I also think it's uh, a double-edged sword in a sense that we don't really know what we talk about when you talk about reality. Because mm. in that sense, I, I'm really with uh, the Lacanian idea that Uh, the real, the real is what we actually don't have access to. Mm -hmm. So I agree with the idea. I mm -hmm. think like when we go deeper in uh, clinical thinking, then the term becomes problematic. Mm -hmm. But I would say that yeah, the it's not just about interpsychic issues. It's not just about I inter uh, yes. conflict compromises. Correct. You compromise within an environment. Correct. Yeah. And if as a clinical psychologist or as a psychoanalyst, we don't take into consideration possibilities brought by the environment, mm -hmm. then we cut ourselves and cut the patient from understanding some aspect of what's going on. Yeah, I agree on what you're saying, definitely. Perhaps what you're saying is that even though we are called in terms of our profession to analyze a conflict and the dynamics and so on and so forth, that we are experiencing in our courses a lack of the interactions of the social. Yeah, as if somehow the fear could be that if you start bringing up the social, mm -hmm. then that's the only thing that's going to be available. Yes, and I'm pondering if there is also a fear that if by bringing the social we are no longer psychoanalysts. I'm pondering if there is a fear that we become something else, but not psychoanalysts. Yeah, we move from the goal to the iron or silver. I can't remember the uh, Freud's uh, <laughs> analogy <laughs> saying that psychoanalysis was the gold and something else. Uh, Therapy was... I don't remember that. Was it silver? I don't remember. You don't? Uh, oh, man. Oh. It's well, my memory is not what it used to be. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that That's another thing. <laughs> In addition to uh, social, there's also the biological. The biological, of course. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, maybe that's a, a theme for a, another podcast. Maybe. Okay. I'm thinking about social workers who are also psychoanalysts and how they integrate or not the social. Mm -hmm. That would be interesting to hear. I, I am not a social worker, but my guess and what I hear from some of the people is that perhaps they integrate more the social mm -hmm. into their practices. But yeah, I think you're right. There's probably a fear to stop being a psychoanalyst. And mm -hmm. in some ways, that might not be just a fear. I think we mentioned that in a previous podcast. If not, then uh, let's bring it up now is that you don't have to be a psychoanalyst 100% of your time. You have to fall back to a position, I mean, that's my sense, to mm -hmm. fall back to a position of being a psychoanalyst. But it's not a rigid position. You can step out of it a little bit, as long as you can come back and look at what happened. Mm -hmm. Because in some ways, for instance, if you're a social worker, I assume that you will... Again, a social worker in France have a somewhat of a different job. So I'm probably referring to something uh, different and maybe social worker in the U.S. won't uh, really um, find that I'm talking about what they do. But So please leave us a comment about that for the follow-up podcast. My sense is they will work, for instance, with people's social situation directly. Like where do you live, your environment, yes. uh, your social class, yes. maybe your ethnicity, maybe where your parents come from, and not just in terms of transgenerational or projection that we can think about as psychoanalysts, but also like, and we will come back to that in a future podcast, but 
of course they're going to start thinking about a background and they're going to have ideas about that. And maybe a psychoanalyst who wants to stay psychoanalyst will just take this information as a fantasy. While there are also some, and we go back to the term, some reality aspect to that. And it's very difficult to move from one thing to another. But I mean, we'll go back to that question. Just to add a footnote, in Puerto Rico, social workers don't do therapy. Okay, so just yeah. like in France. So that's a difference that I experienced when I moved to New York City, that social workers, some of them move into the clinical work. Okay. It was new for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In Puerto Rico, they were very grounded in the environment. I think the irony not to take into consideration the social is that one of the goals Freud gave to psychoanalysis is to help patients move from the pleasure principle to the reality principle. Or at least manage to balance them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But if you move from one to another and then you need to have a sense of what the reality principle would be. Mm -hmm. Like you need to have a sense of, again, we are practicing in New York, the, in quote, realities of maybe the job situation, mm -hmm. the realities of the transportations, the realities of the internal conflict between uh, different ethnicities, different races, as uh, people call it what it means to represent one thing or another, what it means to be a woman, or what it means to be a man. The list could go on and on and on. If you don't, as a clinician, have a sense of some of the dynamics outside, how could you help a patient move to somewhat something of a reality principle? Well, I keep thinking, as you mentioned already, that the, the word reality is problematic because even the fantasy is real for the in the patient. Yeah. It's, it's, so I'm not sure how we should define here reality. Well, that's certainly a problem with Freud's intent. It's not his only intent for psychoanalysis, but certainly the he had probably, uh, at least for uh, some time in his uh, writings, there's still something that the eco-psychology is going to catch on and make extreme. There's still something in Freud, and that his, his daughter is going to pick up too, of an adaptation. Mm -hmm. It's certainly not as strong as CBTs or all the psychology and psychiatry that was um, practiced at this time. Mm -hmm. But there is still this idea that you have to... I mean, I don't think he's pointing that out this way. And maybe the moving from uh, pleasure principle to reality principle is the clearest uh, expression of it. But there's this idea that there is a good way to be. Yes, there is uh, a process of adaptation uh, that seems to be healthier, yeah. quote-unquote. And probably it is something in our practice that we um, moved away from mm -hmm. today. That's my sense, or at least it's what I hear from my supervisors too. <laughs> So it must be true. <laughs> But anyway, so uh, just to point out the irony, because people who are uh, refraining to use the social are also usually referencing to early Freud and to this perception uh, that Freud had. So like, um, it's ironic that even when you want to refer to uh, what would be a pure version of Freud, uh, the social is still very much there. It, mm -hmm. It's actually unescapable. Yeah. So as we clearly uh, started to say, it feels to me that to include the social is necessary to broaden our understanding of what might be going on both with our patients and around them. And I also think that in some ways it helps us make sense of some of what we see in sessions. 
But of course, the limits of including the social is to be seduced by the social and to believe, as we said earlier, that it is all there is to see. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, uh, of course, um, you are in this situation because you are from this place or this place or because you look like this or you look like that. The subject of psychoanalysis would actually be uh, crushed by that, mm-hmm. destroyed by that uh, perspective. Of course, the other limit would be as disastrous as that one that you mentioned. I mean, the limit that everything is intrapsychic, that would be the other side of the spectrum and it would be disastrous too. Yeah, I think what we are trying to communicate here is that in what ways we dance within the intrapsychic and the social during sessions. Exactly. And personally, I find that there is something very important in including social considerations in psychoanalysis and in our practice is the need to understand psychoanalysis in a symbolic way. So what do I mean by that? I mean that, let's take the Oedipal complex. Freud used a Greek tragedy to illustrate his theory. And some people could say, well, but incest is not experienced the same way in other, in different civilizations. And um, the father is not, uh, doesn't have the place um, it has uh, in the Oedipus story, etc., And if you are very rigid, if you believe that psychoanalysis is just Ward and his followers, and you're not going to understand that even the Oedipus complex has to be understood as a metaphor. And that's something that you find recently, or more or less recently, recently in, in psychoanalytic terms. With the Lacanian theory, for instance, with the name of the father, it's a difficult play on word to translate because it's in French it's nom du père. Nom being the sound for both name and no. And play on word is that the name of the father is going to create a no of the father being the no cutting the desire of the mother onto the child. Okay. And if you don't include social consideration and the fact that there are different societies and different ways to create a society, you will tend to think that the father is the man. Mm-hmm. When actually what's interesting is to hear it in terms of function. Correct. And it was sometimes terrible, especially like in France, there was 10 years ago or something, the French government allowed gay people and lesbians to get married. Mm-hmm. And some Lacanian psychoanalysts then said, no, 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 we should not do that because especially for a couple of women, because then there would be no father. And then then you, you don't know you don't know what to say yeah. <laughs> because you, you, it, it's, it's, a sh- it's so shockingly su- uh, stupid. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm stuttering because <laughs> I'm going back to the shock I had when I heard it first uh, all people were supposed to be smart supposed to be that's the important point because the father is not the guy with testicles the father is a function mm-hmm. and so you have to hear that and if you hear this as a function a woman can be a father in that sense a man can be a mother in that sense. I would go even beyond that. Some mythical creature can be a father, can be a mother. Mm-hmm. And that's where you, you have to hear the question of incest and the question of, because the name of the father is clearly related to ancestral. Mm-hmm. If you don't hear that, then you, you get stuck and you don't understand subtlety that some of your patients will bring. And you will say stupid things like, no, you can't have a same-sex couple because the child is be- going to become psychotic. It won't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But people will believe in it because Lacan said that, you see. Mm-hmm. And they won't hear that the psyche 
is the same in every human, but it will take different shape and it will have different referentials depending on the society. Or in other words, the organizing principles are, for example, the Oedipus complex. It's an organizing principle and it manifests in multiplicity of ways depending on how the social interacts with the intrapsychic. I think it summarizes in uh, 20 seconds what I said in a few <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Thank you, Edgar. You're very welcome, Gregoire. <laughs> To conclude this introduction, I think it's interesting to keep in mind that the society is also each of us. And I think psychoanalysis can really help through that. In some ways, we can change some aspects of our society. We certainly can't change a whole country. But societies are not limited to countries. Societies can be a group of friends. It can be our family. It can be our working environment. It's not as if we will be able to change everything, but we are the society. We are not the whole of it, but we are a necessary component of it. Mm -hmm. I guess this is it for today. Again, thank you for listening to us and supporting the work we're doing through discussions on psychoanalysis. Again, we would like to hear your comments and receive your questions. If you appreciate the podcast, please give us five stars on iTunes. And until the next time. See you then. Okay. This is Edgar Francisco Danielson and... This is Grégoire Pierre. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.